This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We're delighted to welcome our next guest to the program in the spotlight for us. Looking at the Denver Broncos is Sean Keeler of the Denver Post, columnist there. We haven't had a chance to have Sean on the program. You can follow him on social at Sean Keeler. He spells it, you know, the normal way, S-E-A-N, not my sort of oddball S-H-A-W-N way. So make sure you give Sean a follow and keep up with everything he's putting together at the Post. A terrific columnist there. We're delighted to have him on the program for the first time. Sean, thanks for joining us on a, a football Friday for the Denver Broncos. I guess I'll, I'll ask the simplest question first. What does a win mean on Sunday? What does a loss mean on Sunday? Or does it actually make any difference in the short or long term for this team? I don't think it makes a lot of difference. You know, and, and thanks for having me, first off. It's a pleasure to talk to both you guys on such a sunny Broncos season that yeah. we're, uh, <laughs> that, that's in front of us. You know, I... Is it going to change the big picture? No. Will everybody go home Sunday night happier? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like Halloween candy. You know, if you'll pardon the the, the parallel, it's like you'll you'll feel pretty good. Um, but is it going to help you in the long run? I mean, you know, you know, it might <laughs> you might get type two diabetes. An empty calorie <laughs> so, win. <laughs> yeah, it's an empty calorie <laughs> win is a good way to put it. Yeah, I. I don't think it changes the big picture of a, of a, a franchise that needs a reset in a locker room that, that needs a pretty hard reset. I've said on a number of occasions uh, that uh, I think the fans have, have been right there uh, in being skeptical about this operation going back, heck, four years maybe even now. Uh, kind of the Vic Fangio line, uh, which – I don't know that Vic Fangio applied, uh, show me, don't tell me. And I think now the fans are saying, show me, don't tell me. Uh, They haven't shown much this year. Um, You have many choices as to who to uh, identify as maybe the most culpable for that. But if you had to make a choice, and I know it might be a 40-30 2010 kind of thing or broken down even in more pieces than that. But who would you say at this point has been the most disappointing figure out of Dove Valley through six games? Uh, I mean, if you play the Blake, you said the blame game has a lot of hands. I mean, Uh, 20 dirty hands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Unfortunately, Sean Payton just became 21. (laughs) <laughs> and they kind of going on to it. it. It really is. How much of this locker room is still LA draft picks? Right. I mean, who yeah. who drafted Jerry Judy? Yeah. Who yeah. who coached Jerry Judy? Exactly. Who who? I mean, there, there's so. And I'm sure we're going to get to this in the paper. I'm sure there's there's a there's a great kind of think piece that's way deeper than I can get on on how we got here. Right. And I'm sure you guys have talked about it. Others have talked about it. Of, of the fact who you know Russell Wilson, okay, great, you made a trade to get that QB, right? Whose idea was it to immediately give him an extension that handcuffed you to this situation if it went wrong? Well, is that the new ownership? Was that somebody else? Was that somebody twisting George Payton's arm? You get a different version of that from a blame standpoint. I, I think the root of the rot in this tree still goes back to John Elway and Joe Ellis. 
Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can get them out of the building. You can change the locks, but their work is still, if this is a tree analogy, that's still the biggest root that's sitting there. And until you start, you're, you're starting to move a little bit of that along with these trades and there may be more, obviously, um, I think that's still the biggest route, but boy, Peyton's picking up steam. Uh, if some of these second-year guys, first-year guys, don't start backing him up on the field, the feeling of, of late because you notice the change in Sean Peyton's demeanor after the loss in Kansas City, and obviously he'd been, uh, I think, rather well, Sean Peyton-esque in pointing out where everybody made a mistake in, in a lot of the losses, and then after a loss in Kansas City in which. I get the score was close, but for a lot of the game, it felt like the Chiefs were just playing with their food with the Denver Broncos, and it might not have been all that close. Yeah, Yeah. you know, but he came away saying he was uh, not discouraged by the loss. Everything seemed unusually rosy for Sean Payton, and my first instinct is, in my experience, that's usually what you hear from a coach that is afraid that he's either lost or is in the process of losing his locker room. That's a concern for a coach that is not even halfway through his first year of a very lucrative long-term deal as head coach. And as you pointed out, uh, he's picking up steam when it comes to being part of the problem as well. How problematic is this relationship between the coach and its underperforming team? Uh, very. Uh, I think there's no <laughs> in the process. I think I think he lost that locker room weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> I agree. You know, agree. this this has been guys. I'm I'm not as seasoned as you both, or as veteran, or as wise, or sage as you both. But I'm old enough to have covered the pre-Marvin Lewis Cincinnati Bengals. Sure. And let me sure. tell you, you guys remember that Corey Dillon game? Yeah. That that, yeah. that went off. That's the frame of reference for Denverites. Right. Okay. So I'm a Bengals beat writer back then, in my about 20 years and 20 pounds ago. And this locker room, this team, certainly this year, and and very much in the last two or three really reminds me of the late 90s Bengals, and not in a good way, where it's just like Justin Simmons is Willie Anderson. He's there to answer all the questions. Right. He's the spokesperson. Right. He takes all the swings and, and darts from us, and everybody else runs and hides. Yeah. Now, that's not true of everybody universally, but, boy, those are not the parallels you want. And having lived it, those are the parallels I felt. And in all cases, everybody there knew – that the final stop was in those days five and eleven, four and twelve. Now it'd be five and twelve, four and thirteen, and they were in it for them. They weren't in it for anybody else. They didn't care about the organization, and they did not respect the head coach, whether it was Dick LeBeau, and certainly when it was Bruce Coughlin. Yeah, which is a yeah. whole other discussion. So I right. think, yeah, you you've got that disconnect already, and I think the only way you are going to fix that, and I would think that they are in the process of working that out. Is, is excising, we're back to the tree comparison, is digging the roots out. Taking a tree out is expensive and painful. Mostly sure. expensive if you've sure. ever had it done. Sure. It's really expensive. That's what the Broncos have to do. And I think that's what they're in the process, I would hope, of doing. And I think the players know it. And if you are Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons, and certainly a Jerry Judy, who's all but, you know, got a sign in front of him that says get me out of here all the time it's like a sandwich it's hard i wanted to be blind at a column it's hard to run routes with a sandwich board that says trade me or please take me and get open and do this it's it's that now it's bengal-esque and it's too bad because i, I thought sean payton would would quickly try to 
cobble what he could, and, and maybe he did and just said, this isn't fixable. I've got the long-term deal. Let's just get rid of what we can and start rebuilding this thing the long and hard way, which unfortunately also has to do with a giant albatross of a quarterback contract that you sure. can't sure. really move. Yeah, no, I mean, another bad week by Jerry Judy. That sign is going to say free to good home. But when you're talking about <laughs> the, the the situation here, what, here's, here's, the, here's my concern. If Sean Payton was able to lose the locker room weeks ago, I mean, we're six games in. So now if they undertake the expensive and time-consuming, it doesn't happen in one offseason, turn over the roster to have it be Sean Payton's guys, what if that doesn't work? Now you're back at square one all over again. What if Sean Payton is a bigger part of the problem than they think? Then thank God for the abs. <laughs> and nuggets. I, I, mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I say that flippantly, but you're right. This is NFL shifts, unlike, you know, Coach Prime and college shifts and run right. off half the roster. Right. It's moving right. a battleship. It doesn't go fast. That's right. And if you have made a mistake at quarterback, again, Broncos history he is generally getting that right. Certainly in the last 40 years, he is getting quarterback right. Yep. So then everything else kind of falls into place. But again, back to my Bengals history. Prior to, ironically, they have, you no know, Cincinnati has quarterback right and Denver doesn't. When you don't have that right, oh my goodness. And it's and you guys went through that a little bit in the, the Cutler eras and, and some of the interims around some of these, the Hall of Fame type folks. Right. It's tough. And it takes, it does take time. And it does take patience and a process. I, I think this fan base, as much as they've suffered, has the understanding. I always run into this with the Rocky Sewer. I'm like, if you just told people we're rebuilding this, I think they would be on board with that. Yes. I think they would yeah. at least understand it and would appreciate the honesty because they are so invested and they are such good fans and loyal fans for what yeah. they do. That if you see this process and say it's a process, they'll get with it. They don't, and I've never understood that, but I think they might have to. And I think saying it is not the worst thing in the world. And I think you have to let it ride it out with Sean Payton. And then you have to find out after year four and five, then if it has not worked. And that's not a great answer. And that's not a comfortable answer, but that's realistically what you're looking at. If you're talking about around 16 or 17 in this city, we back then would have been having an entirely different conversation because actually the Rockies made the playoffs in 17 and 18, two years in a row, even as the Broncos were moving away from their Super Bowl championship uh, right down to the basement uh, in which they uh, certainly um, belong. And Sandy's right, pointed out, right Sean, now. that I think in the last, what is it, seven years, yeah. the Rockies have a better winning percentage Every than the Broncos. Year, year by do. year by year. Uh, going back to 2017. But 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 my, my point is, the Avalanche were down, uh, certainly yeah. after that 48-point season in Bednar's first year, and mm-hmm. the Nuggets hadn't really arrived yet. They weren't terrible, but Jokic wasn't Jokic. Murray wasn't Murray. Uh, Malone wasn't the coach that he is now it just shows you in five or six years things can flip and we've talked about what the broncos are getting wrong and tangentially the rockies what are the nuggets and abs getting right not to have only won a single championship but to have people talking credibly 
not within the organizations, but talking from the outside credibly about their winning more than just the one championship that both have already won. I think in simplest terms, it's, it's identifying and keeping your core and, and knowing where that is. And frankly, to go back to your earlier parallel, isn't that where the Rockies failed? Isn't that why we are oh, of where course. they are? Is, of is course. You had the, the, the Beatles infield yes. and good yes. young pitching. And given the choice between the Beatles infield and the cost-effective young pitching, they chose the cost-effective young pitching, and they broke up the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and the pitching got bad exactly. and hurt, and you're exactly. left with nothing yep. to, to that point. Uh, I think the Broncos can find that core the way – I think that's a great example of the cyclical nature of this, is that now – instead of it, you know, like Miami, and they're all on one page at once, yay, good for South Florida, that, yeah. that you've got the Broncos that have gone back and, and can't just get that thing flipped. I mean, basically can't find the right core again. I think it's there somewhere. It may be playing at CU. It may be playing in the Big Ten somewhere. It may be stealing signs at Michigan. I don't know. <laughs> you know? And you're right. And the Nuggets are where you were in 2017 is a great lesson yeah. that you couldn't have predicted that we'd have be in the greatest winter sports period probably ever in this town between those two KSE franchises where they could kind of take turns and call their shots. I think, again, yeah, it just comes down to being able to a identify that core. I think the Broncos have struggled with that. And, or when they did, they identified the wrong pieces. Um, and and then keeping them, which is obviously where the Rockies failed, uh, and why that went down the, the the shoot so quickly. It's interesting on the college football scene, and you have written, I thought, brilliant columns, uh, really on CU and CSU in particular in recent weeks. But let's, for the sake of this conversation, throw Air Force and heck, even maybe Wyoming into the mix. Uh, Talking about how fast things can change, uh, you know, CU was not only the toast of the town, they were the toast of the country for the month of September and maybe even into October, and a lot of ways still are. They still garner attention. But competitively, it's, it's wild. Air Force is basically favored to have a chance to go 12-0. and 0. There isn't a game they have left on their schedule in which yeah. they will not be favorites. And, and they'll it, be here in two weeks. And you wrote this weekend, what a wild weekend, on Friday night's meltdown in Boulder <laughs> yeah. and Saturday night's miracle for the ages win for CSU at Canvas Stadium. And, and, and now you're looking at the possibility that by the end of the year, CSU, not to mention Air Force and Wyoming, will have more wins than CU does. If not well, more attention. Yeah, I, I don't know that CSU necessarily – well, Air Force and Wyoming, yeah. Air Force I, and I Wyoming are pretty well, much there. Yeah, they're yeah. Not there. yeah, they're there. I don't know that – I'd like to see CSU get there. I don't know that they will. They've, they're they're going to have to get those last three games and, and, and maybe steal one along the way. But who knows? You know, that certainly helped last yeah. week. Yeah, but well, no, yes. What, <laughs> Yeah, a lot. <laughs> the narrative's a little better uh, right. in Foco if you you're, you lose thirty to ten as opposed to winning thirty one to thirty. I I've never seen a, a, a six minutes like that, and I've watched it again just to make sure oh, was I wasn't wild. dreaming. 
<laughs> what happened with that? Uh, and uh, Boise has a lot to answer for on a couple fronts, but that's their problem, right. not yours. No, it's it's a fact, you know, never mind minds, which we kind of take for granted as a story because it's just kind of always there. And because it's there in the playoffs, uh, ultimately that's going to ramp up too. This is going to be – I remember last year, I think everybody was 0-2 for the first time since like 1901 or something like that, <laughs> I want to say, including, my, including mine's which was where I went, oh, this can't have, like, ever happened. Right. Uh, and I don't think it had this century. But I think to go from that place to this one is a very refreshing thing for the area, really refreshing for fans of college football in the area, and a heck of a lot of, a lot of fun to cover. Sure. I'm just worried with Air Force if they peaked one year too early. You know what I mean? Because there's no path. There's no great path for an 11-1, and 12-0 team into the playoffs right. this year. Right. Next year – Absolutely. And then you're talking about some fun because you want to go to the Academy in December in a playoff game and play those guys. I mean, Have if you're fun. Bama, probably, but if you're not, or you're more of a, a middle of the road power five. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get your work cut out for you. So I think if you're Troy Calhoun, as great as this year is setting up to be, boy, I want to make sure I'm rocking and rolling for next year because that could be a great window to take advantage of. Uh, last one for you, Sean. Uh, you wrote a story earlier this week that I think it correctly illustrated the situation with Jerry Judy and with Marvin Mims. That, uh, for example, if if the idea is to showcase Jerry Judy and the potential for a trade this Sunday, that actually makes some sense. But otherwise, the idea that that Sean Payton, we've heard all week, they're going to try to get Marvin Mims more play. Um, at one point. You know, Sean Payton said there was a log jam. There's only five receivers that have caught passes at all this year, so I'm not sure how big the log jam is. But nevertheless, uh, you talked about the ideas, right, that they're, they're going to get rid of the roots. They're going to bring in Sean Payton's guy. Marvin Mims is the first pick that Sean Payton has basically been in charge for. Why, won't he, why can't he put him on the field? You're the head coach. I'm, Don't you decide? Yeah, I'm just as flummoxed by that. I just sit there every time. I mean – yeah, they were the fumbles. There are some things that stick out, but I also and special team. So yeah, I, I yeah right. I, and I also remember the explosion plays on an offense that literally has no game breakers right now. I mean, even Javante Williams at ninety yeah. percent is a yeah. you know he's a he's a single. Hitter. You have two, and one. the other one yeah. is also a guy that was under Sean Payne's watch in McLaughlin. Right, they're his right. guys. He, he should right, and those those two guys might be the best home run hitters. They're the best for, ones you've got. Plays for distance, and, yeah. have, and they don't see yeah. the field. And you just kind of sit there and go, well, I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist. And I, I've joked about, you know, you, you're a Broncos fan. You're either putting on the tinfoil hat or you're putting yeah. a bag over your head right now. Yeah. If you put the tinfoil hat on and go, well, I already know what I got. You know, I just need to protect them and keep them healthy. And it's a marathon. And if I wanted to stink, I certainly would, would do a pretty good job of it not playing McLaughlin and uh, <laughs> and Mims. And that's about all I could come up with because this – this, I mean, they need something. I mean, you can deal with – is rookie mistakes at pass blocking and a route running the biggest thing that's holding this offense back? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. But if they think it is, that's – hey, they're the ones that have got the long-term contract. I'm the one in the newspaper. Who am I to talk? He is Sean Keeler. It's all right. Hey. You're in print. We're in radio. You know, that's the way, the way it goes. <laughs> we, we've, we've, we're, uh, we're blessed to be in uh, 
you know, mediums that have been at their peak for 125 years. So now we're at, this is going to be a fascinating, you know, next couple of weeks, college and, and football. Make sure you pay attention to everything Sean is putting together over at the post. Follow him on social at Sean Keeler, S-E-A-N Keeler. And uh, we hope this is the last time we get to talk. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Call anytime. I'm around. Hey, you know, like the coach said, I ain't hard to find. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of other coaches said, careful what you wish that. for. Appreciate yeah. it, Sean. Thanks so that. much. You guys, have a good weekend. Right. Before, yeah. Take care. Sean Keeler, everybody, in the spotlight for us today. A great, great interview there. The uh, We'll switch our attention because the, uh, well, we talked about some of those better teams. The champs. The Denver Nuggets uh, finished their preseason against the Clippers last night with a win. Starters, for the most part, played some interesting situations there, including uh, Michael Porter Jr. did not. The person who started in that place might not be who you thought. We'll tell you next on Milo Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Pretty good job up to this. Old Highlands got 25. Murray from the corner. Got it. Good defense there. Outlet to Murray. Murray alley out to Gordon, who slams it down. Good sequence there from the Denver Nuggets. Altitude, of course, Chris Marlowe, Scott Hastings on the call. The Nuggets finish off the preseason with a 103-90 win over the Clippers in L.A. They finish the preseason 3-2, and two, if you care. You know how much the NBA cares about preseason. The Clippers finish the, season, the preseason 2-2. Two and two even play the same number of games because nobody cares. The Nuggets starters, all but Michael Porter Jr., who has a sprained left ankle, uh, not reportedly a serious sprained left ankle, but enough to not play in a game that doesn't matter, did not start. Nikola Jokic in 28 minutes on the floor. He did not play in the last game. 25 points, 14 boards, 8 assists to 1 turnover. Seems like he's okay. Uh, Jamal Murray's shot wasn't falling. Not that that matters all that much. 3 for 11, 1 for 6, 8 points. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope keeps his good shooting in the preseason, going with 13. Aaron Gordon, 13 as well, including that dunk, as you heard. But the interesting story to that, Sandy, was the person who started in Porter Jr.'s place, and that was rookie Hunter Tyson, who only finished with five points because he only took four shots, but he did pull down five boards in 21 minutes and got a significant amount of time uh, with the first team. And we've talked about this a little bit in the preseason. We also talked about it with Ryan Blackburn from My Life Sports earlier this week. Hunter Tyson, despite the play of Julian Strouther, Hunter Tyson has maybe the quickest route to minutes because of his ability to sort of play the three and the four and perhaps even maybe the way the Nuggets play it, an undersized five in a pinch because he's a pretty darn good rebounder. Even though out of the three selections the Nuggets made, Tyson was the third of the three. Yeah, um, I I think we know that Pickett might have the toughest path. Might have the G League minutes. Right. And and you want him to play. 
So yes. they, that that's the G League. Might be going to Grand Rapids. That's possible. I think Strother, because of his three-point shooting, uh, is is a guy who could help you here and there coming off the bench. But, but the I two agree with you. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think Tyson brings a, a grittiness that they don't lack. I'm not suggesting that they don't have any grit, but it's it's an intelligence mixed in with some grit. And another guy doesn't scare um, defensively. There is He'll little, mix it up. There's a little sandpaper, yeah. he doesn't care if he scores. No. So, I, yes, I think he's the kind of Swiss Army knife kind of guy. Could be an interesting figure coming off the bench, whether he's the eighth man, ninth man. I, I think six is going to be Christian Brown. Certainly. He gets healthy. Uh, Peyton Watson's going to be the seventh. Mm-hmm. And after that, whether Tyson is eighth or ninth, uh, Strother could be in that mix. Reggie Jackson could be uh, in that mix, I suppose. But I, I think those are essentially the guys you're looking at. But it may be a game-to-game thing. And yeah. listen, if you got a starter hurt, even during the regular season, I don't think you start your six-man necessarily. No. You want to keep your bench rotation intact. Agreed. So you bring in your ninth or tenth guy. That's what I think it is interesting. Start. That perhaps Strother and Tyson start on games with, say, a, whether a Caldwell Pope is out or a Porter Jr. is out or maybe even Aaron, Aaron Gordon right. needs a rest, then maybe you right. start Tyson or Strother yep. in those cases. No, I think because, so. yeah, yep. you want the minutes for, for Brown and Watson to continue. Yep. And that's when I look at, at, at preseason stats. I don't pay a lot of attention to those. I pay attention to a couple. One with Hunter Tyson is this one, 24.9. That's his minutes per game in the preseason, which led the team. Uh, Strother had 17.8 points per game, which led the team. I don't look at that, but I do look at the fact that he did shoot 45.2% from three while averaging almost eight threes a game. And those are the things that made me think, you know, they may be ready to contribute perhaps even sooner than a lot of people think. And that goes along with, as Calvin Booth had to walk some of it back, but his discussion in the ringer of getting some players that maybe slip through the cracks for their teams the Bronx, the, the Broncos, pardon me, the, the Nuggets, for lack of a better term, and I'm mixing sports metaphors, not just my Broncos mention, they're trying to moneyball this thing. They're looking at guys that can step it. They're not worried about Hunter Tyson's ceiling or Strother's ceiling, worried no. if they'll ever be an all-star. They're not worried about that. They want guys who can step in and contribute at a certain level immediately, and however they grow, well, that's all well and good. I, I think we talk about ceilings and floors in sports all the time. And I think when you're talking about reserves, you want guys who are reasonably high floor. I don't guys. even know if I care what the ceiling is. I don't know. The ceiling can be anything. I, I barely mean, matters. It doesn't matter as much as how high the floor is. And if you're talking about the general impression of the Nuggets being that they have a great starting five, maybe the best starting five in the league. But question marks galore, especially without Bruce Brown now, relating to their bench, then I think you want high floor guys. You don't need a lot from the bench. You just need them not to screw up. And these guys are all good, experienced, all around really college experience. players. Two of them, 50 guys. A little older. 
and you you don't have guys who have to be taught all that much. Now, I thought one of the most interesting segments in the Ringer column was the section in which uh, the coaches decided to uh, give some tough love to Strother and Tyson by putting Brown on him in practice before Brown got hurt. Letting him shut him down. Brown shut them both down, so they were forced to do other things in order not to look silly on the practice floor. But the coaches knew that would be the scenario mm-hmm. when when he put Brown on those two guys. But the, those guys will will learn from that, and that uh, that's an interesting way of coaching them. It's not that you have these mentors uh, among the starters. The starter's job is to play. It's not to coach or teach the, the reserve guys, but you have kind of a pecking order among the reserves, which is interesting to me, with Brown talking about how much better Watson is going to be this year than people imagine him to be from having seen him in a very, very, very limited role last year and then have Brown kind of tutoring the the less experienced subs. And Brown, of course, is going into his second year, but he's like a grizzled veteran now, and he at least has to act that way. Brown's ceiling is not as high as Bruce Brown's, but his floor may be about the same as Bruce Brown's. It, it, not that much different because you know you're going to get defense, you're going to get effort, you're going to get scrappiness. You're, you're going to get a guy got, again who is not scared to guard anybody. And even last year, the Nuggets had Christian Brown on some of the big stars. Yeah, they're not afraid of deploying him time. anymore. Not on defense. They're not sure. afraid of him on defense. And on offense, yeah, the ceiling's kind of low right now. We'll see if his work in the offseason to improve his ball handling and his spot-up shooting pays dividends, but it it doesn't matter all that much as long as you can maintain with largely reserves on the floor. You don't have to extend a lead. You just have to maintain. Strother is 21. Uh, Brown is 22. Pickett and Tyson are 23. And there's yeah. another part of that equation, too, when you're talking about not afraid to put them on other guys. There is a difference, especially when you're talking about the really young guys that are the one and dones. The guys that are 22, 23 years old, they've grown into their bodies. You've got yeah. to be sometimes joking. You got your man strength Absolutely. a little bit at that point. And maybe point. they've changed their game even on the college level. They've evolved as players. It happened with Brown at Kansas. Brown was strictly a role player mm-hmm. until that last year. There. But the last year, he became more of an offensive factor and a guy you could trust. In the national championship game, he was great, not just on defense, but on offense, too. And obviously, they had other guys, possibly more gifted offensive players, who also stepped up. But he was kind of the glue guy. And every team needs those types. And if they have different skill sets, so much the better. Use them according to the situation. 
as it presents In itself. that final year, Tyson became one of only nine players in college basketball last year to average double digits in scoring and more than nine and a half rebounds per game. Right. Kind of that Swiss Army knife you're right. talking about. It made his right. diversified his game while yep. being a very good three-point shooter. Yep. So rebounds and threes, a little bit of defense. Uh, Jalen Pickett led his team in points, assists, rebounds, and only barely missed on blocks, and he also led it in steals. So in yeah. basically the five major categories, Pickett led Penn State in everything except blocks in which he was second. So an, another guy with a diverse skill set, the ceiling, I don't really know where it is. I don't suspect it's anywhere near a guy that's going to be an all-star, but that's not what you're asking. And the Nuggets who are looking at their championship window now being open with their core under contract, they don't need that. And even though I think Jalen Pickett has a larger way to go to get minutes. Yeah. If you're Michael Malone, you're looking at this and saying, okay, I got a guy who can rebound a little, who can play a little D, who can shoot a little, who can do what I need him to do. If I need a guy to put in for yeah. six minutes a game, I can probably deploy Jalen Pickett. And he can do that with Strother in certain sets. And I think these guys are, they will not be consistent because they are rookies. That's how it works. But I think given the opportunity to grow, you have guys that are a little more similar. Peyton Watson has an athleticism that I don't think any of these three guys have, and that's why maybe the ceiling for Watson is higher. But I don't think there's as much difference, uh, although I think Christian Brown is, is, a, is a better player, but I see some similarities in these guys in their growth, physically, in their game, that you yeah. can be trusting them with minutes at times, even though they are rookies. The, the, the interesting thing is, I think maybe at the start, and I may be proven totally wrong on this, at the start of the year, you'll see more of the Jacksons and the holidays. Yes. But as the year goes on, my sense is that you'll see less of them and more of one or two of these rookies. As long as they've earned that time. Yeah. They got to earn. And I think they that Michael Malone, who has matured as a coach and evolved as a coach, is now less reticent to use those young players than he was a few years ago. I think there has been, a, a, he has grown in, in confidence in his own ability and understanding how to manage the players. I, I think now that this is a very, very good fit. It's very exciting. The Nuggets, of course, next game will be next Tuesday, a very early tip here, 5.30 p.m. That's because um, they're raising a banner and handing out some rings and the Lakers have to sit there and watch I want to make mention of one thing on that Tuesday because it's interesting the Nuggets are playing so early. The Avalanche are among 32 NHL teams who will all be playing on all Tuesday play night. On Tuesday, yeah. And what they're going to do on ESPN, I believe, mm -hmm. is frozen frenzy. They're calling it. Yeah. Go around the league and go from game to game, and they're staggering the starts. I think by 15 minutes, uh, beginning early. They're going to try the NFL late. red zone this but with hockey yeah, a little bit, it, and it will be kind a of idea. a red zone experience with hockey so i i mean a sports fans feast on on tuesday when you've got the nuggets getting their rings opening against the lakers here in an early game and then later on the avalanche playing well not that much later because yeah. they're playing the islanders back east right so it'll be one of the earlier games but the, <laughs> That being among 16 NHL games involving all 32 teams on Tuesday, interesting experiment by the NHL. I like it, and I, I like the fact that ESPN has the ability now to kind of shift around and go to different I might games. not have picked NBA's I, opening night, but did, I digress. <laughs> well, no, maybe maybe not, but but I, I think it's, it, it's good because – 
you can you can watch the Nuggets, but also you know during breaks or halftime maybe, you know shift over to ESPN and and see what's on. I I like the concept. Good for the National Hockey League to try something uh, different, and it may it may not be great. But the NBA is doing it with this playoff thing, which I don't sure. completely understand. And yeah, in nobody, December, nobody but, does. We'll but, see. Uh, you know, I, I maybe maybe it'll work. I mean. Leagues have tried things before that I didn't think would and, work. And, and they, I like and it when do. leagues try things. You got to try it. You got to be bold, evolve. That's the way to do it. And of course, a lot of football is going on this weekend. And if you're doing that, well, why bet with the big boys this football season? Try your hands at the local book. That's our friends at Superbook Sports. They're the book next door, just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. Well, now Superbook will do even better than that. They'll give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. That's, you know, easy, the place you're listening to right now. Mile High. Simple. Just bet with the best. Use promo code Mile High this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, Sandy, I know that you love coaches that are direct and to the point and honest. Well, one of the all-timers happened on this date. 27 years ago. We'll get to hear from it next on My Life Sports. Let the games begin. Let the games begin. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, we know that when we're talking about uh, coach quotes, you know, Sandy's got to think for the uh, the upfront and honest guys. Well, 27 years ago today, after a loss to the Carolina Panthers in 19 to seven, eerily familiar to a you know pretty local loss here of late, the New Orleans Saints dropped to two and six. That game was very frustrating for one Jim Mora, who after the game dropped one of the all-time coaching rants. Well, what happened was that second game, we got our ass kicked, or the second half. We just got our ass totally kicked. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. We couldn't make a first down. We couldn't run the ball. We didn't try to run the ball. We couldn't complete a pass. We sucked. The second half, we sucked. We couldn't stop the run. Every time they got the ball, they went down and got points. We got our ass totally kicked in the second half. That's what it boiled down to. It was a horse performance in the second half. Horse I'm totally embarrassed and totally ashamed. Coaching, we're all, all, our coaching did a horrible job. The players did a horrible job. We got our ass kicked in that second half. It sucked. It stunk. That's a classic, and he had another one. Too. The playoffs, right? But that was later in a little, little easier but to drop. This, this playoffs, is, yeah. <laughs> but, but for a guy to have not just one but two, and that was as as you say, that was twenty seven years ago today, yeah. uh, as coach of the Saints, and up to that point, the winningest coach far and away in the history of the Saints. Yeah, the Saints in the nineteen years prior to hiring Jim Mora did not have as many wins as the 93 Jim Mora had as coach of the Saints. And you want to talk about that? That was essentially his mic drop moment. He yes. resigned from the Saints yes. the yes. very next That's day. True. Well, 
He just there quit. wasn't much to come back to after no, saying all no, of that. No, there wasn't. Yeah. He was replaced then by uh, linebackers coach Rick Venturi, who finished right. the season. Right. They finished at 3-13. and 13, So, yeah. I mean, the team itself yeah, wasn't good. Bad. And then bad. they completely revamped because that's when they hired Mike Ditka that's, after that. Uh, well, and Mike Ditka traded his whole draft for Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams. And that didn't exactly that work didn't out. work out either. Uh, Mora then, of course, you know, worked with NBC for a while and then uh, yeah. was the first NFL coach hey, for Jim one Mora Peyton Manning. He was an assistant coach at the University of Colorado for a time. So mm-hmm. uh, a very well-known <laughs> figure, uh, probably best known for uh, those two rants. But uh, uh, that one was... Excellent. You know, we get the playoffs. The, the, the playoff one, thing we hear more, but that one, that was the original. But that was think, that was really Jim Moore. Remember this though. That was in two thousand one. Yes. Yes. The Colts yeah. record after losing to the Niners when he dropped the playoffs as if it was yeah. the most ridiculous thing yeah. of all time. Right. They were four and six. Yeah. Well that's four and six. <laughs> that's why that's why people remember it because it wasn't two and six. But but you know what? Six. That's a guy yeah. that was that that's a coach that knew what he was coaching. Yeah. Ain't gonna happen, knew, and, knew and, and didn't there. say something at the beginning of the year like, "If we're not a playoff team, I'm gonna be." I, you know, I I don't <clears> think <throat> Peyton Manning necessarily appreciated Probably that rant by Jim Moore. I they don't did think go three and thirteen, and then the very next year they turned it around to go thirteen. No, three. they did, they did, uh, and they didn't get the hang of it in the postseason for a, for a few more years after that, uh, starting with the annihilation of the Denver Broncos. That yeah. that kind of broke the ice. <laughs> for them uh, in the early 2000s. But Jim Morrow's terrific uh, coach. Just never got it done in the playoffs. No, and I mean, no, never. Could we reckon no. the playoffs? That's, Unfortunately, that's right. 0 and 6. But he took teams that were going nowhere and turned them around. Yeah, career, re- career record around. of uh, 541, you know, winning Pretty record. Good. And uh, yeah, good. was generally not handed teams that were good at the time. Well, no, that, was, that was the whole point. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think Jim Morrow was... A long-term guy, although he was with New Orleans long enough to win ninety-three, 93 games. games. That's that's a long time. Yeah, with a, with a franchise that's a that long it, time you know, never had that. Well, you know, team that is more familiar with playoffs, doing pretty that you know as we know full well. Uh, DU hockey, yeah, uh, is getting going, and of course, there's some interesting stuff to pay attention to. They're playing to this right weekend. now, actually, um, and uh, I'm going to go home and watch it on ESPN Plus. We got to get Danny Bailey to a DU hockey nights. game. That's what I know. Yeah. We definitely. Do. It's a priority for me and okay. Anilo this season. Yeah, we got to well, we got to find a way to get he, you. There. Here's here's the deal. Um, they opened a couple weekends back against Alaska Fairbanks. Right off University in twenty five. It's not hard to get to. Up in Fairbanks, Alaska. Well, maybe on Friday afternoon. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but they won both games. They won both games. Yep. And uh, they are playing two top ten teams uh, this weekend. They're at Providence tonight, and they will be playing at Boston College on Commonwealth Avenue. Tomorrow, uh, both five o'clock starts, both on ESPN Plus. So uh, I'll be taking an the, early look at the twenty three twenty four edition of the Pioneers. And I want to say something that doesn't have a lot directly to do with the DU. The DUCC rivalry is going to start to heat up again this year. CC's got a goaltender who's tremendous, and they beat DU in the conference playoffs last year to give us an idea of maybe coming attractions. Uh, this is going to be a rivalry again, DU and CC. Uh, DU's real good this year. They got all kinds of incoming uh, freshmen. Yeah, and the rankings talent. right now, DU is number two in the country with 10 first-place votes behind and only Boston Minnesota. College, I believe, is number three. Boston College is three with four. It, and it's Providence early going. is top ten. Uh, 
Yes, Providence is number ten. You know, right. Five teams with number with a uh, with uh, first place votes, but DU. So these, these are good games this weekend. You're, yeah. you're seeing uh, two top ten teams tonight in Providence and uh, in Boston. DU and Boston College tomorrow night. Two of the top three ranked teams in the country. If you tune in, uh, and it looks good. A college weird, hockey. DU did very sort of quietly change their logo. Yeah, athletic logo. It's been altered yeah. a little bit, so it looks a little bit different. Little so different. don't be That's uh, fine. just you know. There's still the one with the the maroon. We'll D, get David but, Carl uh, on uh, here. Uh, in the next yeah, few we'll weeks. have an opportunity to do that. I think we'll grab the, we'll grab him, and of course uh, this weekend the Avalanche get uh, back in action again, going for another win. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes will visit on Saturday, but that'll be news, fun. It will be a fun be. game. Interesting news up in Boulder, where the yes. Buffaloes land uh, the number four quarterback at least in the 2025. Rankings that would be uh, Antoine Hill Jr., who was uh, big body 6'5, 215, uh, offered scholarships from oh, just a couple schools Alabama, Georgia, Florida <laughs> State, LSU, Clemson. Yeah. Uh, but is coming to Colorado. And, and the, an interesting part of it, I uh, talked about the fan base, liked that. But let me give you a quote that he had given after um, basically made off to saying his commitment. Quote, the coaches really think I fit their scheme and what they've got going up there. Coach Lewis, Coach Prime, they want me to take over once Shadur leaves. So, I mean, I'd be the next guy up. And I feel like I'd be good learning from Shadur, taking notes from him, taking his leadership skills and putting them into mine. Really, they were saying, be ready to take over once Shadur leaves because I'm the next man up. Well, that would indicate Shadur Sanders isn't leaving after this year. Then does it? That's interesting. And then Hill goes on to talk about uh, what he had discussed and what was coming next. He said a couple more guys, a couple more big guys up front. I'm going to be on that real heavy ever since he told me and ever since I committed, I'm going to try to help recruit some guys up front. They're doing good for Coach Prime's first year, even though the record isn't looking how everyone thought it would, but it's his first year. They showed improvement from last year going 1-11, and he's really turning around that program. A, a small bit, but you have a guy that uh, what I like about it has, I think, a realistic understanding of what Colorado's program actually is. Not not a miracle instant contender, but a but a program that is in the process of turning around, a process that needs linemen, at least has been indicated to Hill, that that's going to be one of the focuses in recruiting. Well, sure. And that if Hill's 2025, Shooter Sanders well, will be back for one be more the year. Back in 2024. So I mean that ends up being and and I guess if you're a Buffs fan and you're looking at this year and you're you're worried that maybe the ground is crumbling from underneath their feet. And given the schedule, it is. It is. But the, the things you want to be looking <laughs> yeah. for is, will Shadur Sanders come back, and are they going to recruit some linemen? And the answers seem to be, along with adding Hill, yes and yes. Yep. Yep. I I would, to my I mind, agree. that says all systems go in Boulder. I think so. And uh, they, they'll have a better offensive line next year. And uh, our friend Dr. Rick Perea on Monday, uh, who's been critical of uh, Deion Sanders and the, at least the structure of the program up there, is predicting improvement for next year. Yeah. I think they'll be a pretty good team, certainly a bowl team uh, next year. I, I don't know that they'll get the six this year. It's uh, going to be really be tough. They'll be doing well to get to five. It will be. It's going to be difficult. But keep in mind, it's a little different than the pros, right? So the pros, you want you get to the local squad. You want to build the lines first yeah. and then invest in that in your picks yeah. and everything else. But they had to get But talent. in college recruiting, yeah. oddly, it's a little bit inverted. Yeah. Because if you're lineman, you know that you're not going to get noticed. You're not right. going to get recognized right. unless, of course, right. you're on. You're blocking for an explosive offense that yes. makes big plays. Yeah. So oddly, the linemen often come after the big time explosive yeah. quote unquote skill guys. Yeah. So I, what's happening in Boulder is actually the way it usually works. Well, you weren't. <laughs> you you were going to get some transfers. 
mm-hmm. obviously, but you weren't. Again, it's a little like the pros. You weren't going to get guys who were good players, established starters on the offensive line to transfer. <laughs> they were right. guys who may have been recruited as three, four star guys uh, who who just hadn't it hadn't worked out. And again, a line has to play together for a while mm-hmm. to come together. You got to play together to come together. Skill positions, you can freelance a little bit more. And uh, we saw that at TCU. Uh, we saw that against Nebraska. We saw it late against CSU. And we saw it when we needed to see it at Arizona State. But they can't be a six-win team until they get better in the trenches. And that's the, that's the, you can't turn the whole program around year. the whole team. around. And here's the thing in one year, you we, can't. we never said they were going to No, And so no. this, this to my mind is no. going to be uh, an improvement, Nobody. but if it, it may be a very bumpy next couple months for the buffs, uh, it's already been a bumpy couple months for the Broncos. Thanks to Sean Keeler of the Denver post for joining us to break it all down. That was terrific. If you missed that interview or any part of the show, you can always go to milehighsports.com or get the Mile High Sports app and check it out at your convenience. Danny Bailey's the man, the booth that makes everything work. Thanks to all of you who make it work too. Uh, everyone who contributes on the text line, who listens, whether it's FM, HD, milehighsports.com, or you make it easy on yourself and get that free Mile High Sports app and get not only this program, but all of our programs and all of the great coverage of all of the teams because the Avalanche, the Nuggets, they're going too. You want to get all of it? Grab the app. The easiest way to do it. Have a safe and wonderful, a rather uh, warm fall weekend. So get outside. Enjoy it a little bit. But be safe because we want you back on Monday. For Sandy Clough and Danny Bailey, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back on Monday, but you don't have to go anywhere. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Somewhere.